Well, I'm uh, turning back this evening to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter and chapter 3. And our subject this evening is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Over this uh, past week, our news has been filled, doesn't it, with updates from the COP26 conference. I don't really wish to make any particular comment on it. I'm sure, if you're like me, you're a bit fed up of hearing about it and all the uh, clickbait news that we are fed with from this conference. But I think what we're witnessing as we see this conference is the latest religion in this land, the newest gospel, in inverted commas, that's rising up in our world. And this new religion is attracting, isn't it, people from every country, Every political party is jumping, isn't it, upon the climate gospel bandwagon. Its popularity has gained so much traction that anyone who speaks out or questions it, questions the validity of their claims, is silenced and sneered at and cancelled. There was one comment, though, this week that came out of the conference that did catch my attention, and it was uttered by our own Prime Minister. And he stated this, that the earth was at one minute to midnight. One minute to midnight, he said, and the clock is ticking. A statement that I'm sure that, of course, many of the climate activists would nod along to in full agreement. But it's a statement, isn't it, that indicates that they believe that this world, which, of course, supposedly has existed for millions or perhaps even billions of years, this world is on the very brink of extinction. It's on the brink of destruction through boiling our kettle too many times, through flying around the world, through driving gas-guzzling cars and so on. We've brought this world perilously close to pressing the self-destruct button. But here's a question that we need to ask ourselves. We should always ask ourselves this question. What does the Bible say? Are the teenage activists right? You know, if we were to fact-check the climate gospel with the written word of God, is it all true? Well, in this chapter that we read this evening, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, the apostle lays down the truth regarding the end of the world. He expresses in very simple terms what is really going to happen at the end of time. Peter here in this, expression, in this chapter uses this particular expression, the day of the Lord. You notice that in verse 10, he talks about the day of the Lord. It's an expression that's used throughout scripture to speak of that day when Christ will come again. A day when this decaying world with all its sin and all its misery and corruption will be destroyed. You find this particular phrase in a number of places in scripture. You find the prophet Isaiah, for example, using it. Amos is another example who uses it. And Peter uses this expression here to give us details of what will happen on this day of the Lord, what this day of the Lord will be like. And this evening I want us to think about this day of the Lord. I want us to focus our attention particularly on verses 9 and 10. Let me just read those again to you. It says in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And so then let's think about some of these details that Peter gives here about this day of the Lord. And I think the first thing that we should notice from these words here that Peter gives us is that the day of the Lord is certain. The day of the Lord is certain. Peter makes that very clear. Notice what he says there in verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He makes it clear that this day is certain. It's going to come. There's no uncertainty or hesitancy in what Peter says here. The coming of Christ and all the events that will take place at his coming, Peter says they are absolutely certain. They're going to happen. Now Peter has already said back in verses 3 and 4, notice what he says there, he says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? There's going to be people in these, in these last days, this, this time between Christ's first coming and Christ's second glorious coming. And he says here that, that in these days, these days in which we live, the time between the first coming of Christ and the, the second coming of Christ, Peter says in these last days, people are going to scoff at this truth that Jesus is coming again. They're going to say, you know, where is he? You know, you said that he was coming back. But I don't see him. And they will begin to mock and they'll begin to scoff. That word scoff there, it means to treat lightly something that should really be taken very seriously. And this is exactly what people do today, isn't it? People scoff. Peter reminds his readers here that this was true even when the flood came. Noah preached, didn't he? That the world was going to be destroyed by water. And the people mocked him. They closed their ears and they scoffed at the word of God. And Peter mentions that here in this chapter. This is what happens even today. You know, when I, I remember when I was a teenager, there was a particular brand that had this slogan. And the slogan said, Jesus is coming. And underneath this slogan, there would be a, a picture, a cartoon drawing of Christ. And he was always drawn and dressed like a sort of 1960s hippie. And he was always doing something trivial. He was on a surfboard on one of them. He was driving a VW camper van on another one. It was all over T-shirts and pencil cases and all these sorts of things. And on the top, as I said, it said, Jesus is coming. Dot, dot, dot. Picture of Jesus. And underneath it said, look busy. What a mockery. What scoffing at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were, they were laughing at the fact that Jesus is coming. When he comes, just, you know, you better look busy. And we see the world throughout the ages has mocked the coming, the certainty of Christ coming into this world. And I think in a sense that that's what's been taking place this past week. The climate activists talk about the end of the world, but they believe that they have the power to stop it. You know, if only we could get world leaders and key countries, you know, to implement certain taxes. If only we could educate farmers in the Amazon rainforest to, to, you know, use the land in a better way. If only we turned out our lights a few more times and culled a few more cows, we can prevent the end of the world. 
They believe that the end of this world, that it's in our hands, it's in our power to control. And you see, what they're doing is they're scoffing, they're laughing at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Peter tells us here that this day is certain. The day of Christ, it's coming. And friends, we can, there's nothing that we can do to stop that coming day. Isaiah writes, behold, the day of the Lord cometh. It is coming. And, you know, Paul uses the illustration of a, of a lady who is in labor giving birth. Well, those of you who've given birth to children know that once that child is coming, you can't stop it. And perhaps I'm speaking to someone here tonight in your heart. You mock and scoff at the truth that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming. You, you laugh at the fact that this world will one day end. And you conveniently push this truth out of your mind because you want to carry on living in your sin. That's what Peter says here. They walk after their own lusts. They, they scoff because they just want to carry on. You want to put this thing out of your mind because you just want to carry on living your life as you please. But Peter says this day of the Lord will come. It's certain. But I think there's a second thing that we could say here, a second thing that Peter draws our attention to, because not only is this day of the Lord certain, but it's also going to be unexpected. Notice what Peter says there, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, thieves, as I'm sure you're aware, don't tend to announce beforehand when they are coming. They don't knock first on the door, do they, and you know, tell you, well, I'm just about to burgle your house. You don't receive a letter or an email informing you that tomorrow night at 2.30 in the morning we're coming. They just come. There's no announcements. It's unexpected. It's a surprise. Jesus said this, didn't he, in Luke 12 and verse 39. He said, if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. We had this uh, just last year. I left the car unlocked on our driveway, and someone came in the middle of the night and tried various doors around the the cul-de-sac, and they found that the car was unlocked, and so they opened it up, and they stole a number of things out of the car. We were fast asleep in beds. If I'd known the thief was coming, I would have either locked the door or I'd have been waiting for him. And Peter says, no, the end, of the, the end of this world will come to the sinner like a thief comes to burgle a house. It will come unexpectedly. The unbeliever will be sleepy. The, the sinner will not be sat eagerly awaiting Christ's coming into this world. It will surprise them. You know, during the Second World War, there were people, weren't there, stationed all along the south coast. They were stationed there. Their job was to watch out for German planes as they approached to come and, and bomb the various cities, primarily, of course, uh, London. And they would, they would watch out. And when they saw, you remember, they saw the planes coming, they would radio through a message. And they would warn the people in London, the planes are coming, the bombers are on their way. And so in towns and cities, air raid wardens would... They would sound the alarm, wouldn't they? They would wind up the alarm and and everyone would hear the the air raid siren. And so they had time to run to the air raid shelter or down in London, down to the underground stations. But you see, when Christ comes, there's going to be no early, early warning system in place. He's going to come unexpectedly. 
In a sense, friends, God's already sounded his alarm because he's given us his word. He's already given us the early warnings. It's here in front of us tonight. He sent his message in the word of God to warn you. And so tonight, in that sense, I'm like the air raid warden. I'm here to sound the alarm, to warn you that the coming of Christ is coming and it's going to be unexpected. And so here's the message that I, that I have to sound, this alarm, this to warn you. Christ is coming. It's, it's certain, but it's also going to be a time when you don't expect it. And so you need to be ready. I, I don't know the year, I don't know the month, I don't know the day, I don't know the hour when Jesus will return. But, but I'm here this, this evening to tell you that you've got to be ready for that day. Remember Jesus told a parable about ten virgins, ten bridesmaids. Five of them were unprepared, you remember, for the moment when the bridegroom came and they were shut out of the wedding. It's a picture of what's going to happen at the end of the world. There's going to be those who the door is shut upon them because they're unprepared for the coming of Christ. And when that door shuts, it will be shut for all eternity. It was the same, wasn't it, in Noah's day. Noah got into the ark and the door was shut by God and the rain began to fall and I'm sure there were many who came and they hurried to that ark and they said, Noah, we're sorry, we, we, we heard your message and we mocked you and we scoffed but we can see what's happening and we'd like to get in. But it was too late. And friends, tonight my job is to warn you, don't let that be true of you. Don't let it be that when it comes to that great day, the door is shut. Because the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. But there's a third thing that we can see from these verses here this evening. Not only is the day of the Lord certain, not only will it be unexpected, but it's going to be terrifying. It's going to be a terrifying day. Peter, in this chapter, he describes some of the events that are going to take place on that day, he says here that the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. He says the elements shall melt with fervent heat. He says the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. What Peter describes here is something that is, is, is so awesome and so terrifying, something that is absolutely catastrophic. The heavens, he says here, the sky, the, the stars, the sun, the moon, they're all going to pass away. They're, they're constants, aren't they? In the sky, the, the stars, they're always there. The sun, it's always there. But when Christ comes, they're all going to be passing away, taken away. And he says here, it's all going to happen with a great noise. You think of the noise of, of thunder. Well, this is going to be something that's, you imagine that noise, but times it by a thousand this would be like a great tempest of a, or a raging storm. It's going to be such a noise. He says here that the elements in the earth, they're going to melt with heat. They're going to be burned up. There's going to be fire, a fire so big and so hot and so intense that this whole world is going to be destroyed and purged. In verse 12, he talks about this it being melting and dissolving. The earth's going to be dissolved. Some of us were at a bonfire this past week. You felt the heat from just a small fire. But the whole world is going to be on fire. Just imagine how catastrophic and how awesome that's going to be. 
Paul writes concerning this terrible and terrifying day, he says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. And he says, and they shall not escape. When we see what we see as we think about these events here, as we see these terrible events portrayed and written down for us, we're seeing here the great power of the judge of all the earth. And I think we also see here in these verses the absolute futility of everything in this world. Notice what Peter says there in verse 10. He says that the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Everything's going to be gone. All our possessions, all our money, all our accolades, it's all just going to melt away. It's going to be burned. I think the day of the Lord is going to highlight the futility of man's greatest efforts. It's going to highlight the futility of man's greatest achievements. You think about it, on that day, everything in this world is going to be destroyed. The pyramids of Egypt are just going to crumble to dust. The the skyscrapers of New York are just going to melt away. Everything, every amazing feat of human achievement is just going to have absolutely no value. The greatest scientific advances of our age are just going to be of no use. They're going to be forgotten on that day. Every work will burn. Sinner tonight, let me ask you, what are you striving for in this world? Do you realise that it's going to melt with fervent heat on that day, that the world's going to burn it up? It's going to be worth absolutely nothing? That's why Jesus said, didn't he, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Because everything in this world, it's just futile. Who cares what car you drive? Who cares what position you've reached in this world, in a sense, if you haven't got treasure in heaven? Peter also reminds us here that that why this world will be burned up. You notice what he says in verse 7 there. At the end of the verse, he says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. Here's the reason why these terrifying events are going to occur. The reasons why that this world is going to be burned up is because there's going to be judgments. Because this world is going to be under the judgment of God's. What Peter is saying here is God is going to come to judge this world in righteousness. And of course so terrifying will that day be that Jesus warns us that people on that day will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us. And they'll say to the hills, cover us. That's how terrifying this day is going to be. You remember 9-11, the awful pictures, and there was pictures, weren't there? Videos of people who were... (coughs) They're in so much pain and in the buildings, and they were prepared to even jump from the buildings. And in a sense, you have there a picture, you see, of what's going to happen on, on the day when Christ comes. There's going to be people who realize because of their sin, because of all that their deeds in this life, that the best thing that they're going to have to do is run, and they just seek death. Men will run from the presence of Christ. They'll seek refuge. Remember what Revelation 6 tells us. Revelation chapter 6 and uh, verses 16 and 17. 
It says there, And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand before God? What a terrifying day that will be for the sinner outside of Christ. What an awesome day. Can I ask you tonight, if that day was to happen tonight, if that was to happen even right now, would you be ready for it? Would you be ready to face Jesus Christ? He's the great judge of all the earth. Will you be ready to stand before him? Well, Peter's told us then that these things are terrifying. He's told us they're certain. He's told us that they're unexpected. But I think there's a fourth thing that we can see from this passage this evening. And our final thing this evening. And that is to say that the day of the Lord is delayed. The day of the Lord is delayed. Do you notice what he says there in verse 9? He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Have you ever thought, why has the Lord not come already? Why has Jesus not returned? You see the wickedness that abounds. You see all the, all the vileness. You see all the sin. Why has Jesus not come back already? Well, Peter points out the reason why he hasn't come. It's not because God is slack. It's not because God is lazy. It's not because he's forgotten his word. It's not because God has some, you know, somehow God is incapable of fulfilling his promise. No, no, that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ is like. That's not what God is like. He's not someone who's unwilling to carry out his purposes. See, God is not like us, is he? You know, if somebody, if we delayed, people would have every right to come to all sorts of conclusions. But God is not a human. He's not, he's not limited. His power is not small. Instead, Peter says the reason why Christ hasn't come yet is because God is long-suffering. He has, in a sense, delayed his coming. The day of the Lord is, is certain. God knows when that day will be. But in a sense, he's holding it back. He's holding it back. He's delaying the coming of Christ. He's delaying the day when he will visit this earth in judgment because of his grace and because of his mercy. Peter goes even further because he tells us that God is not willing that any should perish. Here we see the very heart of God. The Lord has no pleasure, we're told, in the death of the wicked. Friends, do you realise tonight that when you awoke this morning, it was all because of the Lord's mercy. He gave you another day. He preserved you through another night. It could have been another night when he came. And then he spared you despite all the sin that you committed yesterday and all the sin that you committed this past week. He has spared you another day and Christ has not come because he's long-suffering. Unbeliever tonight, this should melt your heart. It's because the Lord is long-suffering that Christ didn't come back yesterday. And it was so that you'd have another day to repent of your sin. And you'd have another day to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. He could have wrapped this world up yesterday. He could have come and we could have, this world could already have been dissolved. And sinner, you would have perished in your sin. But it's in his grace. It's in his grace that he's even brought you here tonight. 
It's in his grace that he's brought you here to, to another gospel meeting to hear the word of God. Peter says he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. A moment ago, I asked if you are ready for this day of the Lord. And perhaps you have to be honest of yourself and you say, oh, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for this day. If Christ was to come right now and this world was to be burned up with fervent heat, I wouldn't be ready for that day. Well, Peter gives us the answer if you want to be ready. He says the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's the word that your hope hangs upon. This word repentance. This is the thing that is necessary. This is the thing that you need to do to be ready for the day of the Lord. And perhaps the question you then have in your mind, well, what is repentance? What does it mean to, to repent? What does this involve? Well, just as I close this morning, let me give you four, close this evening, let me give you four very simple steps as to what repentance is. Firstly, in repentance, you need to see that you're a sinner. You need to see that you have sinned against God, that you've offended him, that you've broken his law. You need to see that you've come short of his glory. And then the second thing that you need to do is you need to know that your sin deserves the wrath of God. God must punish your sin. He's going to come, as we said, in judgment. And his, he is holy and, and your sin angers him. But the third thing that you need to do is you need to grieve over your sin. You need to weep over it. You need to lament over it. You need to mourn that you have turned your back upon God. And what you need to do as you weep and as you grieve over your sin is you need to turn away from your sin. Turn away from those things that have offended a holy God. And the last thing that you need, the fourth thing I should say that you need to do is you need to turn then from your sin. Turn away from it. Don't just weep and grieve over it. There's plenty of people who've done that said how sorry they are for their sin, but then not turn their back on it. Repentance involves turning from it. And then when you do that, when you turn from your sin, the final thing, you need to turn in faith to God. Turn in faith to Jesus Christ. It's him and him alone who can save you. He's the one who, who came into this world and died upon the cross to bear our sin. In a sense, the fire of God's judgment fell upon him when he was upon the cross. And he, in a sense, was dissolved and he was burnt up with fervent heat so that you wouldn't have to be. He's the one who took your place and took your punishment and made atonement for all of your sins when he died upon the cross. So friends, tonight we see here God is long-suffering and his long-suffering, we read there in verse 15, is salvation. So the last thing I need to say to you is repent. Repent of your sins. Make sure that you're ready for this coming day. Make sure you're ready for this day when Christ will come again, this day of the Lord. This day when we read that the heavens shall pass away and the earth shall be burned up and everything shall melt. Look at verse 9 with me as I close. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to uswards. And not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance.